Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. And for the first time ever, we're recording this podcast in front of a live audience here in Belfast as part of the Northern Ireland Science Festival. It's really great to be here. Um, This month, we've been focusing our attention on AI, and I'm delighted that today's guest is Tojo Duke. Uh, Tojo is a leading expert on AI, having been program manager for Responsible AI in Google, the founder of Diverse AI, and author of Building Responsible AI Algorithms. Um, Tojo, it's wonderful um, that you can join us for this special recording here in Belfast. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. You've had a job with the words responsible AI in the title, and you've written a book with that term as well. So help us out a little bit. What does the term responsible AI actually mean? Yeah, it's a a very simple term. It just refers to the development and deployment and use of AI systems responsibly so that it mitigates less um, harms and risks to members of society. Um, And the outputs are actually equal and fair and just and safe and trustworthy um, to everyone who interacts and uses AI models or applications. And who decides what AI is responsible? Is there agreement between government and industry and the research community on what, beyond the, 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 the definition you've given, what actually, which bits of AI are responsible and which are not? Yeah, and it's quite interesting because that definition actually comes from me. Like, there's right. no. <laughs> You'll see other definitions out there that are quite similar. Yeah. But responsible AI is kind of like a new field. It's kind of like come out of ethical AI. So people refer to ethical AI more than responsible AI. And ethical AI is really around the philosophy and ethical considera- considerations of AI systems on humanity. The difference between responsible AI and ethical AI, from what I see, is a technical implementation of how to make sure that these AI systems actually work properly. Um, with ethical AI, we talk about it. I would say we need to think about privacy considerations, for example, privacy violations, um, safety, human rights, um, discrimination, fairness, bias, and all of that good stuff. Um, but it don't tell you how to do it, right? Um, with responsible AI, there, there are frameworks out there, and I wrote about a framework in my book as well, where you can actually look at the different research uh, methodologies that have been done across industry and academia, um, <clears throat> there's standardized work that is out there that can actually be done and implemented by people who are developing the AI systems um, and making sure that you know these systems are fine-tuned, constantly improved over time um, and testing the outputs to make sure they're not misleading anyone and not telling people false information and not leaking people's information while they're doing it or you know um, avoiding copyright infringements and all the crazy stuff that is happening today with AI. Now back to your original question, you know, who determines what mm. is responsible? It's good to see that, you know, governments and policymakers now are suddenly recognizing the value of AI and suddenly recognizing the issues that AI can bring to society um, and to their different countries. And there've been lots of regulations that just came up so suddenly. Um, it's quite interesting because people always say regulation is behind and slow. But with AI regulation, it seems to just happen really quickly. I mean, the EU were one of the first to come up with an AI Act proposal two years ago. Um, They finally approved it, I think, in December, but there's still many reiterations that they have to make. Um, So in this case, right now, we'll say regulation is, they are using the term responsible AI. Um, Policy policy makers are, so we can say that, you know, whatever work is being done now should be anchored 
on whatever um, requirements that is coming out from policymakers across across the world. Um, they tend to develop these regulations with conversations from industry and academia, so they never do it in the silos. Um, I've looked through them. We have one from the US. Um, Joe Biden gave an executive order last year and said we need to make sure that we have safe, secure and trustworthy AI. Um, and reading through it and reading through the UN's and reading through the EU AI Act and even the UK has um, some rules as well on safety, they're all very comprehensive. And it's clear that policymakers didn't just sit down in one place and come up with all of this stuff, but they've had very in-depth conversations. And I know a few people that have been you know, at different events talking to Congress about the issues with AI and how to build AI responsibly. And are all of those uh, different uh, regimes and different uh, regulations, are they are broadly the same or are countries or the EU as a group going in, in different directions as they try and regulate these things? So I think the EU stands out with insisting that there should be a definition and a difference between high risk applications and non-risk applications, um, which the other regulations don't seem to cover. And they're basically talking about generative AI, um, which kind of like, you know, came up, came, came, you know, it's, it's a bit new, came in 2022. By then, the EU AI Act had already you know, drafted its very first proposal. There was nothing on foundation models at the time and generative AI. Then generative AI came and took the world by storm and they had to like reenact it and change it. And they're basically, they have a fine, they have a, a directive and if any company is found to fail against the directives that they have in the EU AI Act, they're going to charge them 7% 7, 7 of their annual turnover of the previous year. Um, and we know that usually it's, it's probably big tech that, that, that may suffer from these sort of things. Um, <clears throat> so I think they're driving the, they're driving the needle here. Um, Japan has a slightly different look at it. They're not very bullish about their regulation. Um, they're allowing developers to do as they please, really. They're not, they're not so scared about safety. China also has, has one, but theirs is really on synthetic data and synthetic media, and they're really hard on you know, not deceiving people from deep fakes, for instance. Um, and then I think the US and the UK seem to have very similar regulations. Mm. And some people are contrasting the development of AI now with the development of the internet 20, 30 years ago. Um, and that wasn't developed with any kind of guardrails, with any kind of sort of regulation protections. Um, and they're saying, well, perhaps AI should be. Um, I mean, firstly, is that a reasonable comparison? And what can we learn from the overall internet that, that, that can bring into this sort of AI debate? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a fair comparison, but I think it's the closest comparison we have okay. when it comes to technological advancements across the world, because um, it's quite recent as well. Like It's one of the major technological disruptions we had, and there's nothing else to compare with. I think the problem with AI is the extent at which it can go goes beyond what we have seen. With the internet, there are limits to it, right? It provides information, people use it, they mis misuse it, they abuse it. We're aware of all the issues with the internet now. There's nothing new. We're not seeing any new developments of the internet anymore, or of the World Wide Web. It's just the same, right? And the only difference, I mean, even with the browsers, they're still the same. We don't have any new browsers over the past 20 to 25 years. With AI, it was quite qu quiet, and AI has had different 
AI summers and winters, that's what they're called, where you know investors get really excited because they see the capabilities of it, or they're really pitched by researchers to say, well, you've got to be able to you know, cross, cross your tea with, with a pen using AI, for example, that's just a joke. Um, and you know, they pump so much money into it, and then at the end, it doesn't deliver what they promise, and then you know, everybody just like, kind of like, you know, loses hope, and they withdraw their money back. But for the past couple of years now, we've seen to be an AI summer. And why is that happening? It's because the AI modalities and functionalities keep on amazing everyone. And they're going beyond what we thought. And that's why last year, there was this whole thing about AI human extinction rumors all over the place, because these AI systems, especially generative AI, were doing things that even the people who developed them didn't expect them to do. Um, and in that kind of comparison and scenario, you do not want to compare it to the World Wide Web or the internet, because the internet hasn't reached that advancement, and it never will. I don't see that happening. Um, with AI, there's a big push towards artificial general intelligence, um, which, you know, it can be in different ways. No one really knows what that means. But basically, what we're saying is we could have different modalities, which, is, which means you can have different functions in one AI system, right? You could have, you know, so right now, generative AI came out, and the capabilities of generative AI never existed before. You could never input a text and say, give me an image of a panda on space drinking a cup of coffee. But now you can. Right? And there's even more. And now we're hearing about video generators. And you hear about OpenAI launching Sora, right? Which is actually just saying, give me, give me a video of a dog working in space, or give me a video of a dork, you know, in, in uh, having, having a dream on the apocalypse, or something, something crazy. You can have the wildest imaginations, put the text in, and you get a, a very good photorealistic image or video. These things never existed before. And it's not going to stop there, right? We're going to keep on having text to audio to yes. video. And all of these capabilities will end up being in one AI system. And I think at the end of the day, we need to think about what AI is really meant to do for humanity. And it's meant to help humans. I'm a strong stickler and enthusiast of AI. I believe it has so much potential to solve a lot of world problems today, right? Including healthcare. Um, but of course, it has a lot of potential as well to be abused and misused. And right now, it still has a lot of issues where, you know, we have issues around privacy and bias and fairness and everything else that I've mentioned. Um, so that's where the responsible AI framework comes into play. That's where making sure we have the right guardrails come into play. And I think, and people say it may never happen, but we might eventually get to that place where everybody gets scared of, you know, the thing about Terminator, but we might get to that place where we'll actually have human life-size robots, maybe, having all these functionalities, and maybe they can fry you an egg in the morning if you wake up. Who knows? That might never happen. But at the rate we're going, we're pushing towards a world that we've never lived in before, and we need to be aware of it. Yeah. No, I understand that. And it's not all pandas drinking tea. You know, there are some potentially serious things to some of these things. Uh, let me turn to something else. Um, uh, diverse AI. That's something I know you've been heavily involved in. What is it um, and, and how did it come about? Right. So it's a non-profit um, that I set up in the UK last year. Um, it's really meant to drive diversity in AI through different ways. Um, so we have like three different programs, running defense, education and research. And the whole goal really is just to make sure that there's more representation in the field, right? Because one of the issues that we have with AI is the lack of representation. So we have a lot of white male just building models and not thinking about the world at large because they don't live across the world at large and they don't understand the different biases and issues and challenges that different societies face. So a lot of people are excluded and that's where the harmful outputs affects people, right? Um, and um, <clears throat> what led to it is just, I've been, I've worked in tech for quite some time now, and it's quite clear, excuse me. <clears throat> 
it's quite clear that there's, you know, there's a big gender gap and a big diversity gap in, in tech. And, you know, the big tech always release diversity numbers every year to say, you know, we're trying to move the needle on, on representation across different subgroups and different communities. But it's a main, main problem. Um, and I've worked with nonprofits, like I worked in, with women in AI UK as a volunteer, and I led like the Ireland team as a manager. And when I moved to the UK, I led the UK chapter. Um, but women in AI was just addressing women, even if it was open to other minority groups. So diverse AI is just, it's open up to everyone. One, right, whatever community you come from, um, people are interested to just join and just be part of a community, be part of like-minded people and attract new talent into the field as well. And when we started, it's a UK-based company, but we have people, members of our community from across the world, which just shows that there's a need to have things like this and people are interested in AI. And knowing that AI is the future, is, is, is our current present and is the future technology today, then we need more people literate educated on AI and involved in the technology in as many ways as possible. And where do you think the real challenges are to actually increase that diversity? Is it about recruiting people into the industry? Is it about uh, getting people to study the right subjects at school? Um, is it uh, something to do with the way that skills are taught? What, where it, or is it all of those places? Yes, yeah, it's, it's everything. I think it starts from home, to be honest, like, mm -hmm. you know, we, we always attribute computer games to the boys and the girls play with the dolls. And that's how it starts. And then you, you get <coughs> kids grow up, excuse me, and um, <coughs> um, you get kids grow up, they go to university and you have very few girls in computer science courses because they're not interested. They say it's for boys. I went through the same thing. I could have studied engineering and I said, no, it's for boys. And I heard that they were putting coffee into Coke and drinking it to, to stay awake through, throughout the exams. And I was like, I don't want to live that sort of life. You know, I'd rather have a, an easy life. But you have the few girls who manage to get into university, but then they're minorities and they feel choked up. So you hear about lots of female dropouts from universities who never finished those courses. And the ones, the little ones who try to finish it, you know, try to get into jobs and some of them make it into jobs, they're still suffocated, right? They say it's very misogynistic, you know, it's, it's machistic, it's tech bros culture, and it can't survive. And you have a few women who, who you know, just make it through, but many times they're miserable, and some of them just drop out. Um, so I think if we want to nip it in the board, we have to go, it's, a, it's an ecosystem. And as they say, it takes a village. We have to think about right from starting from home. I've got two girls. And there was once I bought a robot, a toy robot for, for my daughter's friend who had a birthday party and he's a boy. And for some reason we couldn't make it to the birthday party and I wanted to give it to another boy. And I was like, hang on, why do I want to give it to another boy? So I already have that bias in me, right? Mm -hmm. That robots are for boys. And I'm looking for boys, <coughs> boys' toys and robots come up. You look for girls' toys, robots don't come up. And this is the first introduction to getting other people into tech. And like I said, tech is our future, it's our present. So we need to make sure that we have all genders included, not just genders, but like all you know, neurodiversity, disabled people, sexual orientation, every single other person who comes from a minority group or an underrepresented group included in the technology. But we can't start, you know, when they're in school or much later when they're trying to get a job. It has to start from when they're young. And specifically then on AI and diversity, um, if we don't get this right, what are some of the potential harms, I guess, uh, about having a, a very undiverse set of people developing AI? Well, we're seeing the harms today. They're just, they're just like, we c I can say they're like in small, small increments because we're not hearing about everything, 
and everything is not being reported. You know, there are few false arrests that have happened in the US and they keep on happening. A poor woman last year called Portia Rudorov was um, eight months pregnant and still arrested for car theft. Um, she's from African-American descent. The facial recognition and CCTV cameras misidentified her and she was actually put in jail for a few hours in the holding cell. She had contractions while she was there. It's not the first time this is happening. Um, and these are the stories that we hear about, right? Some people don't even know why they get arrested. And that's one example. We have one man in Belgium last year who took his own life because he was chatting with this evil chatbot, I call it. And the chatbot convinced this man after six weeks of conversation that if he takes his own life, he'll be able to save the world from climate crisis. And the guy believed him and he took his own life. He left behind a wife and two girls, two daughters. That's another example. Yeah, that's... So imagine the magnitude, right? The more we use the systems and they're going, you know, yeah. Um, without any guardrails and without any mitigations, the more widespread the sort of harms and risks will go and we'll hear, keep on hearing more of terrible things happening. And those are just two gory examples, but I have so many more. So what you've said, there's two things in what you've said. One of them is <clears throat> the lack of diversity and one of them then is the sort of the, the, the guardrails and, and preventing. And presumably both of those things have to go hand in hand. How do you see this playing out, on, both on the diversity and on the kind of the guardrails, over the next sort of 12, 18, 24 months? Um, I think there's an increase, slow increments in awareness of responsible AI and the issues with, with AI. We've heard different things from different people. Um, I think with the regulations, it's going to probably push it a bit more um, to make sure that it's been adopted. Um, I am confident that some of these harms will be addressed properly, and that's why we are having collateral, like the book that I wrote, and I'm writing another book now, partnering with a professor of statistics in the University of Pavia in Italy, and we're writing about measurements. So how do we measure these risks and the harms, and how do we actually propose different mitigations? So there's going to be lots of collateral, and my first book has been adopted by so many universities across the world already. So if we think about the, the students, the computer science students who are reading books like this, which never existed before because no one thought about responsible AI in the past onto these issues that are cropping up, then hopefully and optimistically we'll see a reduction in the harms and risks because now we're implementing the right guardrails and we understand what those techniques are and what they should be and we make sure we implement them before deploying the AI systems and deploying the applications which are the products. And on the flip side, we have regulation as well that's saying, you know, you have to do this right and if you don't do this right, you can get penalised for it. So hopefully with all these different collateral and policies out there, people will feel incentivized and feel that they're equipped as well to do the right thing. Because I think part of it is not even having the knowledge on what to do, right? Being aware that these AI systems are out there um, and they could be harming people. And sometimes it's a, it's a power game. It's, a, it's a, money, a money grab and a money, you know, they're just crazy about money. Because many times we have research scientists and engineers that just develop this am amazing technology, right? Trying, you've been trying to like build a system for a while and they are able Able to like hit that moment you just want to launch it right you're excited this is cutting edge state-of-the-art research and you launch it um, but the responsible tests are never done um, until there are issues and um, by then it's already too late because it's already been deployed and probably you have so many people who have turned it into applications like products like ChatGPT, for instance has over a hundred thousand products that are attached to the api of of open ai so if it's messed up then we're talking about so many thousand other applications that are messed up. Um, so yeah, hopefully um, in the next 24 months, we'll see an improvement in, in the adoption of responsible AI. Mm. 
And we've been talking in general terms, but obviously, uh, if we think about the UK specifically, how do you see the, the UK government in the, what it's developing and what it's doing? It obviously had the, the AI Safety Summit, which is a big kind of jamboree, um, quite interesting. So I've heard different views on, on how effective that was, but it's now seriously thinking about what it needs to do. So how do you see the UK and, and its regulatory efforts over the next year or so? I think there's progress. Um, I don't know how quick it is. Um, I mean, I'm happy that the UK is actually interested in AI and they understand the advantages and benefits of using the technology. And they are also aware of the harms. So that's why we have the UK Safety AI Institute, which is quite new. I think it was, was, um, was introduced like a couple of months ago and they're hiring people now and they're trying to hire diverse people. So they've come to diverse AI a couple of times and say we want to hire diverse people. But of course we might have a pipeline problem because we might not have enough diverse people who actually fit the talent that they're looking for. But that's a different issue. Um, so the UK government is, is they're, they're working hard on it. Um, I know they sponsored um, an organization called Responsible AI UK, which is actually part of University of Southampton. And they're leading all research work across the UK um, and making sure that before they provide funding, you know, the organizations that are requesting for funding from them go through some form of responsible AI framework or are at least aware of the responsible AI um, things that they need to do before you know, carrying out the research. So there is some work being done there. It's not, it's not bullish, it's not, you know, it's not like a rule and a regulation and if you don't stick to it, you're gonna get fired or anything like that. But um, I think there is progress. So I'm, I am quite optimistic about what the UK is doing and I wouldn't say they are behind. I think this time last year, I'd have probably not last year, the year before, I'd have probably said, I'm not quite sure what's happening, but now there is, there's been a pickup on adoption of safe measures in the UK. Well, we're coming nearly towards the end of our time, but I wanted to ask you one last question. And a lot of what we've been talking about is the, the downside of AI. Um, and let's, let's focus on a slightly happier, because AI has the, all of these great potentials. So, so look forward, a little bit of a crystal ball, look forward five years. What are some of the applications of AI that are really going to make a big difference that all of us in the room are going to feel over the next five years? Right, so I bring up my crystal ball and a look. Okay, um, I'm joking. But, you know, when you think about the future, so like generative AI right now is being used a lot in, in um, workplaces. I mean, some companies have adopted them, some are really scared of them, but it's really helping with productivity. And I do say that I believe AI will actually bring out our human side a bit more, because I think most of us have been working over the years, you know, capitalism, and you just work so hard, you forget who you are, you just look forward for a holiday once or twice a year, and that's it, and you go back and work. With AI, it's cutting out most of the mundane tasks that most of us absolutely hate, the repetitive tasks that take so much time, time consuming, and just drive us mad, and it's cutting all of that for us, it's doing it. So if we're able to adopt more of AI, we'll be able to actually think more creatively, creatively because we have more time to think yeah. and we're less burnt down, right? Um, and, you know, might actually think, oh, I absolutely hate this job. Let me move into this other job that I, I really love. And you can lead, you know, drive more profitability in that, in that business, right? So that's one of the things. Um, and then when you think about healthcare, for instance, AI is really helping with healthcare. It's leading to a lot of drug discovery. Um, it's even helping with cancer. So one of the things that got me 
interested in AI was the potential that it could possibly come up with cancer, cancer drugs, right, you know, to, to help with cancer, because I just couldn't understand why in the 21st century we still haven't been able to find a cure for cancer. I'm like, why is this such a problem that no one has been able to come up with? And AI is actually helping with that. And, you know, there's some universities in the UK that are actually coming up with some trial drugs for cancer. Um, so, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's really supposed to be an assistance. Um, and the more we adopt it, the more we'll see more assistive measures being done by AI. And I can't tell you what the next five years would be because honestly, the past two years, I didn't even expect it to be the way it was. Yeah. Um, and the next five years, we could see so many different things happening across the industry. Whatever happens, it will be an exciting time. And it will uh, be good for us. And it will be good for us. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's leave it there. Toja Duke, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Tojo Duke, uh, former program manager for Responsible AI in Google, the founder of Diverse AI and author of Building Responsible AI Algorithms. The Foundation for Science and Technology is holding an event on the 28th of February entitled Can AI Be Regulated? And if so, how? That event held in the Royal Society in London is open for everyone and it's free to attend either in person or online Details of that can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Also on our website are details of all our other events, all our blogs, all our journals, and all previous editions of this podcast. Until the next time, goodbye.